0: Matthew series. Uh, now, you remember a few weeks ago, uh, we talked about the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, which was that amazing time when, when Jesus took John and, and Peter and James uh, up to the mountain and, and they got to see, you know, Moses and Elijah in spiritual form speaking with Jesus and then they get to hear the, the voice of God speaking. I mean, this was just an amazing, amazing event, right? But have you ever noticed? That when God does something amazing, it's not long after that the enemy sneaks in and tries to make a mess of it. You ever notice that? Well, this was no exception. Because today we're gonna look at how this event may have sparked a little bit of jealousy. It may have, you know, made the other disciples get their flesh involved a little too much, right? So we're going to have a discussion about today, uh, and this is going to be a great lesson on humility. But let's go ahead and jump into Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 1. And it says, about that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Okay, this seems like a pretty stupid question (laughs) to ask Jesus, doesn't it? I mean, it's obvious there was some debate going on among them, and This question kind of makes you think if perhaps there was a little jealousy going on, because after all, Jesus only took three of the disciples up there to experience the Mount of Transfiguration. And you know how people's minds work, right? So they're probably going, so uh, what's the deal? Why did Peter, James, and John get to go up there and experience that, and we didn't? Does that mean that they're going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Are they more important than us? Can you see this working in them? See, sometimes I think we over-spiritualize the people in the scriptures. They got jealous. They got angry. If they were driving cars, they would have road rage. Right? They were people. Maybe that's just because I have road rage. But anyway, they were starting to think, "Maybe, maybe he thinks they're more important than I am. Now, I know this seems really petty. But one thing you'll find out is passionate people tend to be a little more competitive. You ever notice that? And they were very passionate people, but... You can tell this really, this really bugged them. Their competitive nature was coming out. But here's the issue. You see, believers are not supposed to be competing against each other. Did you know that? We're not supposed to be competing against each other. These guys were on the wrong page. See, we're, there's two people that we should be competing against. The first one is ourselves. And the other one, is the enemy. Those are the things that we are competing against. We compete against ourselves by never settling in our service for God. Never settling. It drives me crazy when someone's been a believer for a long time and they get this pompous attitude. You know what I mean? Like, well, I've done everything I'm supposed to do. I'm right where I should be. And I don't want to... You ever met that believer? They act like they got it all together. And you know that they're just as messed up as you are. Right? But listen... We have to always desire more. We have to never settle on our service to God. Think about it for just a second. Think about it. When you think of everything Jesus has done for you, could you ever really do enough to arrive to where you're done, to where you're like, we're even? I mean, anybody ever done that? I'm dying to see if somebody raises their hand on that one. You know what I mean? You compete against yourself. That's that's one of the biggest competitions. The other thing is the enemy. You know he's out there trying to destroy people. It's our job to try to teach them about Jesus. So as you can imagine, Jesus wasn't very happy with this question. Because this question kind of revealed that they still had a desire for power and position. Which sounds an awful lot like the Pharisees, doesn't it? And the Sadducees. So this had to agitate him a little bit. Because Jesus is thinking, you know, the world desires those self-serving things. Believers shouldn't. We shouldn't be focused on what serves us. We need to focus on making sure that we're sharing the power and position of Jesus, not trying to find power and position of our own. Right? So you can imagine he was, he was probably pretty upset right now. Here's one thing you'll find out. The moment that you start focusing on you, you are no longer in the will of God. You're thinking, wow, that's a pretty general statement, but it's generally true. If your whole focus is how powerful you can be, what people think of you, you know, the credit that you get for what you do, you are no longer in the will of God. That is not what we're supposed to be thinking about. And the disciples started to fall into that very trap. Now, I think it's kind of frustrating because I see churches today even falling into this trap. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? It kind of drives me crazy. I, I just. I think it's so frustrating when churches compete against each other. You see that all the time. One church badmouthing another church, trying to get people to leave one church and come to the other. Just constantly competing against each other. I've seen this happen. And they're so worried about who's greater, and who's got the best this, and who's revered as the best church. And oh my gosh. This mindset does nothing but make churches distracted and ineffective. This is the same trap that the, uh, that the disciples were falling into here. I mean... I don't want you to get me wrong. We should strive for success. I, I don't want a church that's passionate and wants to grow. I, I want our church to do that. But the success that we're supposed to be striving for is spiritual success. That's what we're supposed to be striving for. And what spiritual success is, is are you reaching all the people you can and discipling the believers you have? If you're doing that, that's reaching success for a Believer. But here's what I don't get. There are so many people out there who need reached, who need to hear the word of God. There are so many Christians out there who need discipled. Don't you think it increases our odds if we all work together? Don't you think that increases our odds? Listen, I pray if any church is teaching the truth, I want them to be blessed. Because, see, our goal is not to magnify our name, our denominational name, our church's name, Our job is to magnify and glorify the name of God. See, it's not about who has the biggest church and and who has the best-looking pastor, which you guys got that one down. (laughs) Don't worry, you guys won that one. I'm just saying, no. But anyway, it's not about that. It's about glorifying the name of God. That's what it's about. And when we start competing and making it about our name, our denomination, we're completely out of the will of God. So before we judge these disciples too harshly, realize it's still going on today. So let's see what happens next. Matthew 18, chapter um, chapter 18, verse 2. It says, Jesus called a little child to him and put him among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Most of your translations say enter. Okay? You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So... <laughs> This is a brilliant and powerful illustration. It, it's awesome because the disciples just ask, so who's going to be the greatest? Which one, have you ever had kids ask you a question like that? Mom, which one of us is the better athlete? <laughs> You're like going, whoa, look at the time. You know what I mean? I mean, they're acting like little kids. And so I love how he handles this. I love this. They said, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? So Jesus sees some children. And he says, come on over here. And he calls these, little, these children over, and, and he has this child stand right in the middle of them. And what he says to them kind of seems a little confusing at first glance, but we're going to explain that. Look at this again, Matthew 18, 3. Then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven, or you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So why did Jesus say you? Why did he say you? The disciples are already believers. They're already going to be in the kingdom of heaven. I'll explain that here in a little bit. So, why did he say you? Because I've heard people read this passage and say, see, he's warning the disciples that if they don't get more humble, they may not make it after all. That's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. That's not what he's saying. See, it's one of those things you have that if you just look a little deeper, right? Because this in the Greek, that you in the Greek is second person plural. Okay, and what that means is it's a general word like someone. Like we would say, unless someone becomes like a little child. See, he wasn't talking to the disciples saying, unless you personally get more humble, I'm yanking back your heaven card. That's not what he was saying. He was saying, listen, while you guys are arguing, I want you to understand something. Unless someone becomes as humble as a little child, they can't even enter the kingdom of heaven. Right, so this is an illustration he's using. And he's used these illustrations where he uses imagery and words, like, for instance, when he says you have to be born again. Remember that? Look at John three three. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is what? Born again. born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. See, this is using verbal imagery. Did he really mean that you have to, you know, Be carried around by some woman in her stomach for nine months and be reborn? Is that what he meant? No, he was talking about the experience of becoming a believer. Everything's forgiven. You start your life new like a newborn child. You're born again in Christ. He's used this kind of imagery before. And so when he says you have to become like little children, he's using a verbal image of humility like little children. And let me explain that. When he says become like a little child, he didn't mean fight over toys. Okay, that's not what he meant. He didn't mean become immature. What he meant was children generally have much stronger faith than adults. Did you know that? Much stronger faith than adults because the world's had less time to make them cynical. The world's had less time to program their mind to doubt everything. You ever notice that when you watch TV that they make anyone anything about God either a joke or or bigotry or they they are they're always trying to make that the person who follows God the person who's a Christian, that's the one they like to pick on, right? They're narrow-minded, they're bigots, they're, you know, they, you ever notice that on TV? It drives me crazy. See, they've had less time, children have had less time to get programmed into that cynical mindset. They have this faith that believes, like, for instance, children actually believe that parents will always tell them the truth. You ever notice that? I mean, for instance, you tell your kids when they're little there's a Santa Claus, do they believe in Santa Claus? Absolutely. You tell them there's, there's an Easter bunny. Do they believe in the Easter bunny? Absolutely. Mom and dad said it. It's got to be true. I believe it. Where's that rabbit? You know what I mean? They believe quickly because they haven't become cynical. They have that pure heart. And this drives me crazy because a lot of times people ignore the faith of children. Or they don't take them seriously. See, when I was a child, I was raised in a church church that didn't believe young people could be saved, right? They would always say, well, you don't understand the the depth of sin yet. I'm like, well, I know right and wrong. Isn't that kind of what sin is? Sin is wrong and and not sinning is right. I mean, and they're like, no, no, no. You got to wait and go out, basically go out and get real good at sinning. (laughs) Then you can be saved. So I just gave up. I had an interest when I was very little. No one took me serious. So I thought, well, I better get out and find out just what this sin's about. And boys, I jumped in with both feet. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm going to get so good at this, I got to get saved. But anyway, you know? But people really don't take the faith of children seriously. Sometimes we'll have a baptism of a small child, and someone will say, Do you really think that six year old understood what it means to believe in Jesus? And I'm like, I really think that six year old probably knows more about believing in Jesus than you do. You know what I mean? Because they're not cynical yet. They don't question yet. In the book of Mark, it tells us how the disciples were guilty of this also. It's kind of a similar story. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 13. And they were bringing children to him, speaking of Jesus, so that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. Do You understand what's going on here? They're bringing little children to Jesus because people thought if he could touch them, it would bless them. And the disciples didn't take him seriously. They're like, he's busy. Get these stinking kids out of here. That's my version. You know what I mean? This is this is honestly what they were doing. But it says he rebuked him. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. And he took them in his arms and began blessing them, laying his hands on them. Right? So, what he's saying is instead of ignoring a child's faith, you know what churches and believers and parents need to do, especially parents? We need to embrace their faith and we need to nourish it. Nourish it. I mean, pour ourselves into making sure they understand while they can be young and, and, and make this a part of the fiber of their being growing up with it. Right? I mean, in Deuteronomy, God talks about the importance of this. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, five. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might." These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. He's basically saying, listen, I'm glad that you know these words. Now teach them to your kids. Make sure they always hear them. Right, and Proverbs makes a big promise for this. Proverbs 22, 6, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will what? Not Not depart from it. That's a pretty big promise, isn't it? That's a pretty big promise. So never take for granted the faith of children because Jesus said it takes a childlike faith for someone to even become a believer and enter the kingdom of heaven. It means we have to have that pure faith that that ignores the doubt and ignores the religion and ignores the cynicism and just trust God to do what he said he's going to do. I love this. In Matthew 640, have you ever noticed that, depending on what church or denomination you belong to, they all have a recipe for becoming a believer? Some have even made it into acronyms. I'm serious. I'm like, seriously? I mean, some say, well, you have to... You know, be sorry for all your sin and then prove that you're sorry and then, you know, then repent and then believe and then prove that you meant it by the way you live. And you know what? If I would have heard that recipe when I was getting ready to seek him, I'd say, never mind. I've made a mess of everything I do. That's never mind. I'm not even going to mess with it. Right. Here's here's what Jesus says. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who beholds the son, that means perceives who he is and believes in him. What? will have eternal life, and I myself will raise them up on the last day. Did he say, whoever shows me they're good enough is a good singer in the church choir? See, I'd be out right there. Right? Whoever helps old ladies across the street, whoever gives a lot, whoever's baptized, whoever speaks in tongues, does it say any of that? No, it says, whoever believes will have eternal life and I myself will raise him up on the last day. And what he's saying is it's just like a child. You know, a parent says, hey, Santa Claus comes down the chimney and puts presents under your tree, and they go, cool, let's wait for him and send cookies for it, right? They believe it because they trust their mother and father. God is saying, trust me like a child. Believe that what my son did was enough. I know it sounds too good to be true. I wanted it to be that way. That's why it's called amazing grace, right? So just believe me. So that's what he means by that childlike faith. Now, there's something I want to cover here that I think is important because I get a lot of questions about entering the kingdom and inheriting the kingdom. Have you ever noticed in the scripture, it'll say the one that does this will not inherit the kingdom? Anybody ever seen that? Okay, and then you read other areas where it says if you do this, you will not enter the kingdom. Anybody seen those? A lot of times people get confused. Those are not the same thing. Okay, and I want to explain that. Because anyone who's believed will enter the kingdom. That's how we know he wasn't talking specifically about the disciples. If you've believed, you will enter the kingdom. But only faithful believers will inherit the kingdom. See, there's going to be an opportunity for us to serve under Christ in his kingdom. I mean... Directly, can un- you imagine serving directly under Christ in, in His kingdom? This is this is a promise that He made. So when He says, "If you do this, you won't inherit the kingdom," He's saying that kind of believer will not be able to serve Him in that kingdom because that was one of the greatest things that a Jew could ever ever imagine was to be able to be a part of serving in the Messianic kingdom. That was what they looked forward to. That was called inheriting the kingdom, right? Now look at this: Second Timothy two eleven through thirteen. It says this is a trustworthy statement. If we die with him, we will also live with him. Right? So this is talking about becoming a believer. It says if we endure hardship, we will reign with him. Right? If we deny him, he will deny us. Deny us what? The ability to reign with him. How do we know that? Because it says if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful for he cannot deny who he is. So what it says is, listen, when you believe you're going to heaven... But if you're willing to suffer for him, if you're willing if you're willing to, to give yourself up and work for him, then you'll be able to reign in that kingdom. But if you deny him, meaning you won't serve him once you've become a believer, then he'll deny you the ability to be able to reign. He won't turn you away from the kingdom because he can't. He gave you eternal life. A piece of him is in you. He can't deny that. But he can keep you from serving in that kingdom. So when Jesus used the word enter here, He was definitely talking to unbelievers. He was describing to them what it took for someone to become a believer. He's saying they have to be like a little child. Just believe, just trust what God says and do it. They have to humble themselves like that. Again, John 5, 24, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and what? And believes him who sent me has eternal life, and does not come into judgment, but has passed, what do you notice there? It's a done deal, it's past tense, has passed out of death into life. So this is, this is huge. He's saying if you can humble yourself and be like a little child, and this was his way of telling them, listen, what made you able to enter the kingdom in the first place was you humbled yourself and trusted me. Where did that humility go? Now you're asking me who's going to be the greatest. Now you're worried about a position and power in the kingdom. But when you came to me, fishermen, tax collectors, when you came to me, the scourge of humanity, and I said, follow me, you humbled yourself, dropped everything like a child and followed me. Where'd that go? And this is a reminder to them, you will become a believer by becoming like a child humbling yourself and part of that humbling this is what's so hard with adults okay this is what's so hard with adults is we have a struggle believing we can't earn it we feel like we should earn it how many people felt that way when you were searching out christ you felt like you had to be good enough i mean i i thought there's no way because if he really sees everything that's going on i'm toast How am I going to be good enough? I started thinking about that, and I would try to quit one thing, and I'd do another thing to help me quit that thing. I'm not going to tell you what those things were, right? You can imagine. But I kept thinking, man, this seems impossible to be good. And it's like Jesus is in heaven going, no kidding. That's kind of why I died on the cross. It's impossible for you to be good. So part of humbling ourselves is realizing we can't do anything to earn or deserve eternal life. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that what? Not of yourselves. Not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of what? Work. Work so that no one may boast. He's saying become like a child. Just accept the gift. You ever see a kid, when you hand them a wrapped up present, say, what do I owe you? <laughs> Anybody ever see that? No. If you bought your kid a car, would they say, Can't do that, Dad. I've got to pay for this somehow. Do you think they'd do that? Here's $100 to take to the dance and go to the movies. You know, I can't do that. I just feel wrong about that. How many people's kids do that? My kids are, like, pulling out of my hand so fast I have paper cuts. (laughs) Kids say, for me, thanks. Right? For me, children... When they find out that Jesus offers them eternal life, free of charge, they believe it and accept it. Adults feel like we've got to do something to earn it. He says, become like little children. Okay? Now there's more. Let's go back. Matthew 18:4. Jesus says, so anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. But if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. Well, tell us how you feel. Okay? So what what he's trying to say here is, listen, it's so important that we accept and invest in new believers. It's so important that we humble ourselves. Don't just think about us and invest in others so so that they can become something powerful for God's kingdom, right? And when he's talking about little ones here, he's talking about new believers. We know that. I mean, it's not that he wasn't talking about being good to children, but that's the analogy here, right? And so he's basically saying, listen, here's what I expect from you. Just like you would take a little child in and love and care for them, and help them grow up healthy, when someone comes to me, you need to invest in them. Because new believers are easily persuaded. They need guidance. They need guidance. When I first believed, I know this sounds terrible, I didn't know anything about the Bible, other than it was big and had a lot of cool pictures in it. You know, Because that's the only one I ever saw, that I ever looked at, was the one that sat on our coffee table. How many people had the big Bible on their coffee table with the Da Vinci pictures in it? How many people had those? How many people actually just looked at the pictures when they opened it and they were a kid? Be honest. Okay, just had to check and see. But I didn't know anything about the Bible. Nothing about the Bible. And I would have believed anything my pastor said. I would have believed it. All the the Christian people that I knew and loved, I would have believed anything they said because I didn't know anything. I didn't I didn't understand anything yet, right? And Jesus is saying, those who will be great in the kingdom are the ones who realize they need our help, will invest their time in those people, not think about themselves, but think about the betterment of the kingdom by investing in these little children, these new believers, and encouraging them to read and pray and worship and, and not judge them or be condescending to them. You ever have an older believer condescend to you when you're a new believer? They're like, oh, I remember when I made mistakes like you. Anybody ever have somebody say that to you? I was like, you should remember. It's probably within the last 24 hours. Right? They're condescending to you and talk down to you. And uh, Listen, that's not, that's not humility. Humility is saying, listen, I'm going to put time and effort into making sure you become the strongest believer that we've ever seen. Because the goal is to reach people for Christ. And with you on my team, we can reach more. He's saying we should invest in them. That takes humility to invest in them, and it only makes the kingdom stronger, right? And he's saying the greatest one in the kingdom of heaven is the one that invests in the kingdom of heaven, even the new ones that just come in, the little ones, right? But then he ends with this warning, and i got to talk about this warning. Have you ever had someone do something to one of your children? Is there any fire in our gut, like that. Anybody? I mean, I am not kidding you. We would charge hell with a water pistol for our children. Wouldn't we? Think about it. I'll never forget when when, when Kelsey was a baby. She was my firstborn. I, and I was, I was a Christian too, so th- I, I'm awesome. But anyway, I went to Pizza Hut because that's what good Christians do after church. And I sat her car seat up on the counter where I was paying. And I had my hand on the side of it, you know. And this like 21-year-old guy I saw out of the corner of my eye went like this to his buddy like he's going to shove it off. I wish I'd have never seen that. Because a fire went through me that I can't even explain to you. And I found myself walking at him and backing him up before I even knew I'd done it. And it was like the Holy Spirit put his hand on my chest and said, don't do this. Because I had already planned to put him through that stained glass. I'm not going to lie. There's your spiritual pastor. I was going to put him through the stained glass. Because there's something in us that says, do not mess with my kids. Am I right? Especially moms. I mean, dads, I know we think it's us, but... Moms. You know? Claws. You want what's best for your children. And anyone who would dare... Anyone who would dare try to hurt or hinder your children are open to the wrath of mom, right? God loves us more than we love our children. And when he sees one of his little ones, a new believer, coming, and he sees someone intentionally teaching them something that could hurt their faith, something that could make them useless in their faith, something that could get them in trouble, something that could lead them astray... It angers him so much so he doesn't tell us what exactly will happen. But he goes, let me put it to you this way. It'd be better to have a rock put around your neck and drowned than what's going to happen. Doesn't that sound like kind of like me wanting to throw the guy through the stained glass window just a little bit? Okay, maybe not. I was trying to spiritualize that a little bit. But he's saying they mean something to me. So much so that there's a grave punishment for those who try to stumble, my little ones, my believers. If they mean that much to me, shouldn't they mean that much to you? Shouldn't you step away from yourself and humble yourself and invest in the kingdom and in my little ones like I've invested in you? That's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You follow me? Okay, now, I want to close with this, but I want to remind you of something that I was thinking about the whole time I was preparing this message Yes, the childlike faith he's talking about here was for someone to believe because he said enter the kingdom. But I don't want you to think that that's the only time childlike faith is beneficial. Because when you find yourself drifting from God, has anybody ever found themselves so distracted and the, you just can't feel his presence anymore? Your desire to read starts to creep away, you even start to, you know, question, you know, going to church and and You know what I mean? It's just we hit that dead spot. You don't have to raise your hands because I know everybody hits that spot in their life. Right? Where the enemy's just got you deceived and you just, it's just a difficult place to be. And and it's hard for us sometimes when we're in that condition to just humble ourselves and say, God, I don't know what's going on, but I want to feel your presence again. You know, if childlike faith is what got you eternal life, That same childlike faith will restore you when you start to drift from Him. Just humbling yourself. You don't have to work your way back. The Bible says if you'll confess your sin, he's faithful and righteous to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So if you start to feel yourself drift, don't try to figure it out. Don't try to work your way back. Just say, God, I know you love me. You're my father. I'm your child. Your word says if I confess, you'll cleanse me. I I confess my sin. Make me right with you again. That, that same childlike faith will bring you back into fellowship. And I just think it's important that we, that we d- remember that because there's so many people, the only reason they haven't restored their relationship with Christ is pride. If they could just humble themselves like a child, listen, just like it gained you eternal life, it will restore your fellowship with God. I'm going to go ahead and close there. I'm going to ask you would to please bow your heads. If this is your first time here, we always like to give a a brief invitation, and here's why. You know, I've seen the invitations where people beg you to come up front, and I just don't believe in all that. But I do believe that the Word of God touches our heart in a way that only God can. And regardless of who's speaking or the part of Scripture they're teaching on, the Word of God has a way of letting us know He's there, and He loves us, and He wants a close relationship with us. So I always like to give people the opportunity to take that first step. and Listen, no one can judge you. But if you're not sure where you stand with God, why every head is bowed and every eye is closed, just make eye contact and you put your head right back down. And I want to pray for you. Bless those people. I'm not going to point you out or chase you down or email you. I just want to pray for you. Because I understand the confusion that you're feeling. Bless those people. And I don't want you... Let the enemy deceive you into thinking it's harder than what it is So i'm going to pray for you and I really do pray for those faces And for those of us who are believers, I just pray that we remember We're not in this for ourselves. We're in this for the one who gave us eternal life We should be as just as invested In our brothers and sisters as we are in our own lives Because when we all come together like one family we get to see the will of god done in amazing ways And I think there's just too much competition right now among believers and not enough fellowship, not enough desire to work together in teamwork. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for all that you do. I thank you for your love, your mercy, and your kindness, and your grace. I am so thankful that you made eternal life free. I'm so thankful that there was nothing we could do to deserve or earn it because we'd never make it. I just pray, God, if there's someone here who doesn't know you, that whatever it is that's holding them back, that they would just push that out of their mind and like a child, trust you to keep your word. If they can just believe that what Jesus did was enough to guarantee their eternal life, your word says they'll have it. I just pray that they would make that decision today. They would humble themselves and trust you at your word. And If they make that decision, I pray that they contact us because we would love so much to embrace them in their journey and walk with them. If they live a long way from here or watching online, I pray they find some good Christian person or organization they can that would walk with them. I just pray, God, that they don't wait another day and let the world harden their heart anymore. And God, for those of us who know you, it's so easy to become just like the world and focus on just us and our own position and our own power. I just pray, God, that we remember everything we have is from you. There's nothing we need that you can't provide. I just pray we trust you to be the provider and that we spend our time trying to enlarge the borders of your kingdom. We just thank you, Lord, for all that you do. We pray that you would keep us safe and if you don't return to take us home before we meet again, I just pray we'd come together and give you all the praise, honor, and glory you're so worthy of. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.